Last week, we saw two main things. Number one, God's purpose, the purpose that He had before the creation of the world, was to change us into the image of His Son. Romans 8.29 says, For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. God's purpose is to make a, a family filled with, with people who look like Jesus Christ. That Jesus would be the firstborn among many brothers, and that all of them would look like Him. That is His purpose. And last week we also saw that God's process to change us, God's process that He uses in, in real life, in this world, in, in our lives, His process to change us into the image of His Son is to show us the glory of His Son. In 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So God's purpose is to change us into the image of His Son. The process that He uses is to show us the glory of Jesus Christ. And so this morning we're going to begin to look at Jesus Christ and see what He really looks like. This week and next week I'll be preaching and then as I have opportunities later on as they come up, Perhaps we'll continue to do this. What I want for us to do is to see what Jesus Christ really looks like. Now, why is it? Why is it so important? Because we, it's so easy for us, isn't it, to have very um, dry, sterile, flat, doctrinal images of Jesus Christ in our minds. He is God. He is man. He is sinless. He is eternal. And if you get really sophisticated with your theology, you can figure out how all of those things fit together in one person. And you can have very precise, academic, theoretical, doctrinal statements about how all that fits together. Now, of course, all of those things are true. He is God. He is man. He is eternal. He is sinless. But as long as they remain dry, sterile facts, like entries in the dictionary, like, like articles in the systematic theology textbook. As long as they remain sterile facts, they will be next to useless for us. What we need is to see Jesus Christ in living color. We need to see Him in real life. We need to see what He was actually like as a person, as a man, as a flesh and blood human being who walked and talked and ate and drank and smiled and touched and wept and did everything that you and I do, and went through everything that you and I go through. And so we're going to spend time this week and next week looking at aspects of the real Jesus as He's portrayed for us in the Gospels. Because in the Gospels, we can see Jesus close up. We can see Him face to face if we slow down and behold Him and meditate on Him and reflect on Him. And so, turn with me if you have a Bible or else look on the screen here to Luke chapter 7 verses 11 through 17. And I want for us to fill our eyes with a portrait of Jesus Christ. Now, this passage in Luke 7 is, uh, is actually a passage that many of us have had opportunity to study really over the last year or so. 
in different contexts, in college groups, in small groups. But I want for us to see it again. And I want for us to make connections with ourselves. Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearer stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Now you read that, and you think, okay, what is the main facet of Jesus Christ that we see in this passage? Well, we certainly see His power, don't we? You see power that is powerful enough to speak and cause someone to raise from the dead. But you see His power in other places too. What else do you see here? We see here in in Jesus Christ not just great power, we also see great compassion. Verse 13 says, And when the Lord saw her, He had compassion on her, and He said to her, Do not weep. Now, let's slow down for a few minutes and think about what's going on in this story. What's going on in this scene? Remember, slow down so you can see what Jesus is really doing and what is really going on. Verse 11 says that Jesus is is walking along the road and He's coming to a little town called Nain. And it says that His disciples and a great crowd went with Him. Now, think about that scene. Use your imaginations. Paint, Paint the picture in your mind. Who is the center of attention here? The center of attention is Jesus Christ Himself. The crowd is there only because Jesus is there. The crowd is following Him there. They want to see Him. They want to hear Him. Jesus is the celebrity of the hour. He's the one that everyone is there to see and to hear. Now, put yourself into that position. Think about yourself. What would it be like for you if you were the center of of attention in a huge crowd like this? What would you do? Some of us would, would feel like melting into the pavement, wouldn't we? Because you don't like to be the center of attention. You don't like people looking at you and thinking about you and, and focusing on you. Others of us would, couldn't get enough of this because we love to be seen. We love to be the center of attention. We, we would be on cloud nine because we would be at the center of everything and we'd love it. Now, Little little side note here. Think about those two responses. If you can think of yourself as the center of attention and you think either I would melt into the pavement because I can't stand people focusing on me or I would love it because people would be focusing on me. What do those two things have in common? They're both about you. They're both about me, aren't they? That's the way we are. When we want to melt or when we want to gloat, the focus is on me. Look at what Jesus does. Here you have Jesus at the head of a huge crowd of people who are there for one reason, one reason only. They want to see and to hear Him. 
Now, just as he's walking along into this town of Nain, leading this whole crowd of people who, who want to hear him, picture it in your mind, there's another crowd coming out of the town. Do you see that? There's another crowd coming out of the gate of the city, and both of these crowds are on the same road, the same little narrow dirt road. They're getting ready to, to squeeze into each other, to melt into one another. Now, think about the, the chaos of that scene. Have you ever been in this huge crowd so large that you were overwhelmed with the size of the crowd? A couple of years ago, I went to um, Times Square in, uh, in Manhattan, in New York City. How many of you have ever been to Times Square? Wow, more than I expected. I, I went for the first time a few years ago when we lived in Pennsylvania. And um, a group of people from our church in Pennsylvania was actually going to be doing street preaching in Times Square. And I walked into this place to find this group. I got out of my car, walked into this crowd, and I just had to stand there. I had to, I had to kind of get my bearings for a minute because it was this massive, chaotic crowd of people just everywhere. And it was so huge and so, so chaotic and so turbulent that I, I had trouble kind of getting my bearings and trying to figure out where I was and where I had to get and what was going on. And that's the, the kind of thing that was going on here, except without the billboards and the lights and the stores. But there's this mass of people churning together as these two crowds come together on the road. Now, Luke tells us what kind of crowd it is that's coming out of the city of Nain. Look what it says. It's a funeral procession. Verse 12 says, As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out. So it's not just another crowd of people who just happens to be going on a walk. They are on their way to the graveyard. And that just adds to the chaos of the situation. Because back in those days, what always happened with funeral processions? Well, we are very, you know, Western. We are very quiet. We're very reserved. And at, uh, at our funerals, we keep things calm, not the way it was back then, not the way it was over there. The people who knew the dead man would not be afraid to weep and to wail and to give full vent to their sorrow. And more than that, they would hire professional mourners who would walk along with the crowd. And they would, they'd be calling out. They'd be playing on pipes. They'd be beating on drums. They'd be calling out, Weep with them, all you who are bitter of heart. Weep with them, all you who are bitter of heart. So you have professional mourners yelling out those kinds of things. You have the people who are weeping, who are, who are calling out, who are wailing, who are beating themselves, who are ripping their garments, all of that kind of chaos. So you don't just have the chaos of two crowds who happen to be kind of politely passing one another. You have the chaos and the noise and the confusion that go with the funeral. Now, who is it that has died? Verse 12 tells us that the man who had died was the only son of his mother. Now, put yourselves in her shoes. Can you imagine the sadness of this woman? Her only son had died. Her one and only son, whom she had nursed, whom she had played with, whom she had taught, whom she had raised. This woman is distraught at her loss. But it gets worse than that, doesn't it? Because look what it says. This isn't the first time this woman has walked in the funeral procession. Verse 12 says, She was a widow. This woman hasn't only lost her son, she's also lost her husband. Now, this woman isn't just distraught, she's devastated. Think about what this means. Think of the emotional pain that, that, that comes with having the two most important people in your world torn away from you, one after the other. 
the two closest people in your life torn away. Think of the loneliness. Think of the sadness. Think of the, of the despair of that. Can you taste that? Can you imagine what that would be like? But this woman's trouble isn't just emotional. In that culture, at that time, the woman has been left totally helpless. She hasn't just lost her husband and her son. She's also lost the equivalent of of her job and her social security and her Medicare and her pension and her life savings and her status in society. When she loses her husband and she loses her son, she loses everything. She has nothing. She has no means whatsoever. And so, so, what is she left with? She's in complete trouble. She's an outcast. She's a pauper. She's a beggar. She's a nobody. And she doesn't even have the comfort of companionship in the midst of all of that because she's lost the people who are close to her. That is what Jesus Christ walks right into as He comes into the town of Nain. That, that's the, the ugliness. That's the brokenness. That's the sadness. That Jesus walks right into with His whole crowd behind Him. Now again, put yourself in Jesus' shoes. What is Jesus doing? He, he's, this isn't in His daytimer. He's, he's not planning on intercepting a, a, a funeral, right? I mean, He's on, he's on important business. He's, he's on God's business. He's got a sermon to preach. He's got questions to answer. He's got people to talk to. He's got... He's got impressions to make. He's got um, disciples to teach, arguments to have, on and on and on. Jesus Christ has this agenda, right? And He's got to do what He's got to do. He's too busy to mess with these messy interruptions like weeping widows and crowds of wailing people. He doesn't have time for this. Isn't that the way you and I would respond to this situation? I've got my agenda. I've got my plans. But look at what Jesus does. Verse 13, And when the Lord saw her, He had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Now think about what Jesus does here. Think about the first thing He does. The first thing He does is that He sees her. He takes notice of her. He, he looks at her. He sets His gaze on her. Now again, use your imagination. Think about this. Think about what this looks like. In all of the chaos, with, with all of the distractions, with all of the people, with all the crowds, with all the people calling for Jesus' attention, clamoring to get close to Him because they want to be with Him. They want to see Him. They want to hear Him. They want Him to, to heal them. Whatever. With all of the, the clamoring, with all the important things to do, with all of the chaos, with the, the, the masses kind of boiling together, Jesus sees her. And he doesn't focus on the crowds and he doesn't focus on the dead son. He focuses on her. And he takes in the situation and he sees her anguish. That's what Jesus Christ is like. He sees anguish. He sees pain. He sees people like us. And then what does he do? After he sees her, the next thing he does is he has compassion on her. His heart goes out to her. He enters into her sorrow. Now, you have two choices right now. You can say, yeah, 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 of course. Big deal. I've heard this before. Or you can be amazed by it. This is the Son of God. This is the Savior of the world. This is the Lord God Almighty. 
And he is taking the time to notice this one poor, distraught, devastated woman. A woman who, in the culture of her day, is down here on the bottom of the, of the ladder. The High King of Heaven. He's not there to be seen. He's not there to be, to be the center of attention. He doesn't care about that. He sees this woman. And he doesn't just notice her in passing. He doesn't just say, oh, that's nice. Get her out of the way. Come on, guys. Take care of this problem so I can get on with my business. He sees her and he has deep compassion for her. That's what Jesus Christ is like. And we see that same pattern over and over again in the Gospels. It, it, this isn't just an isolated incident where he's kind of getting caught up in the, in the emotion of the moment. This is what Jesus is like. Over and over and over again, this is what Jesus is like. Matthew 9.36 says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. We read the same kind of thing in Mark 10, 21. The story of this rich young ruler who, who thought he had perfectly kept God's law from birth, but who couldn't part with his stuff in order to follow Christ. Remember that story? It says in Mark 10, 21, And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. That's what Jesus is like. He does see you. He does see people. And He doesn't just see them, He loves them. He sees what's really going on and then His great heart responds with compassion and with love. That's what Christ is like. And if you think that's not true of you, what are you saying about Christ? What to do next in Luke 7? Look at verse 13. First, He sees her. Then He has compassion on her. And the third thing that He does is He speaks to her. When the Lord saw her, He had compassion on her and He said to her, Do not weep. So He's not like the way... He's not like us. He doesn't just stand there and feel pity for this woman, you know, and say, well, boy, I hope someone does something. He doesn't feel good about himself just because he's, his, you know, he's had some kind of a pity in his heart. He does something. And the first thing he does is he speaks. And he doesn't just speak words of sympathy, does he? He doesn't just say, boy, sorry, I'm sorry that, you know, this worked out this way for you. Sorry you're in such a situation. He doesn't speak words of pity. He, speak, he speaks words of hope. He says to her, do not weep. Now, if you think about it, this is one of those places where the little, little sad bracelet thing, you know, what would Jesus do, really falls apart. Right? Um, because if this was you or me, right? As a woman coming out, a widow, she's lost her son. They're coming out of the procession. We come up and say, hey, hey, don't weep. Does that make any sense? Does it make sense for us to speak these kinds of words? That would be the most ridiculous and insensitive thing in the world to say. I mean, come on, don't weep. Why not weep? Why not weep? I've just lost everything in this world, every relationship, every bit of security, and you come out of nowhere, out of this crowd, and come up to me and say, do not weep. What else am I supposed to do? Whistle a little tune and go on my merry way? I mean, am I just going to be happy all the time? Is that what you're telling me to do? But this isn't you or me talking to this woman, is it? What's it say? It says, when the Lord saw her. When the Lord saw her. 
He had compassion on her and He said to her, do not weep. It's the Lord talking. The Lord can say things like this to people in these kinds of situations. And then what does He do? He speaks to her. He says, do not weep. And then look at verse 14. Then He came up and touched the beer or touched the stretcher and the bearer stood still. He doesn't keep His distance. He doesn't, he doesn't just give nice platitudes to this woman. He gets up close and He gets His hands dirty. Literally gets His hands dirty. Because he actually walks up and touches the stretcher and he touches the dead man on it. Now, now that doesn't seem like a big deal to us, but that's a huge deal for them. Because you don't just come up and, and touch dead people if you're a Jew. Especially if you're a religious teacher, a holy man like Jesus. To touch a dead body or even to touch the stretcher that the dead body is laying on is to make yourself unclean. But Jesus loves Jesus loves to touch those who are unclean. In Mark 1, verses 40 and 41, we read this. Listen to these words. And a leper came up to him. A sick, unclean, festering, oozing, deteriorating, decomposing leper comes up to him. Imploring him, it says. And kneeling, he said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. And he said to him, I will be clean. That's what Jesus is like. He touches messed up, dirty, unclean, sick, dying, dead people like you and me. And so Jesus comes near to this woman and, and her dead son and He touches the stretcher and He stops the procession and then He does something even more bizarre, bizarre than that. He speaks again. But this time He's not speaking to the woman. This time He's speaking to the dead son. Now think about it. How crazy is that? Think of, think of this whole scene. Put yourself in the picture. Here's this man that you've met on the road. He's walking towards you. He walks up and starts talking to the woman. And first thing, He says, don't weep to the woman who's lost everything. And you're thinking, what's wrong with this man? He's insane. What do you mean don't weep? And then he goes over and touches the, the, the stretcher and they're thinking, this guy's lost it. And then he starts talking to the dead person. And then you think, okay, this, is, this guy's insane. Completely, completely insane. Who goes around talking to dead bodies? He says, young man, I say to you, arise. And at that moment, the unthinkable thing happens and everything makes sense. Everything makes sense when the dead man sits up and began to speak. Everything makes sense. His compassion for the woman makes sense. His speaking to the woman and saying, do not weep, makes sense. His touching the dead man's stretcher makes sense. His speaking to the dead man makes sense. Because of who Jesus is and because of what He can do. This is the Lord. This is the King of heaven and earth. This is not just some compassionate person. He is not only compassionate. He's not just filled with platitudes and nice feelings. He is also powerful. And He's powerful enough to speak life into dead people. This is what Jesus Christ is like. This is what He's really like. 
That is what his love is like. What are you going to do with this? Are you going to say, yeah, that's what he was like back then? This is what the love of Jesus Christ is like. And it's wonderful. Is there anyone else like him? Is there anyone else like him who sees our need, who sees us as individuals in the crowd, who has compassion on us, in particular where we are, and speaks peace to us and then acts to rescue us from our trouble? Is there anyone else like that? What does this have to do with us? I want you to think about two things. Number one, this is the kind of love and compassion that every one of us needs. This isn't just a nice little story. We are just like this woman in one way or another, aren't we? Think about yourself. Are you desperately hopeless? Do you see your own weakness? Are you painfully aware of your sin? Does, this, does your sin <clears throat> seem too big for you to tackle? Does it seem too big for God to tackle? Then the love of Jesus Christ is exactly what you need. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for years. It doesn't matter if you've been grown up in the church. It doesn't matter if, if you're not quite sure where you stand with God. If this is all new to you. It doesn't matter even if you're, you know that you're digging in your heels and rebelling against God. The love of Jesus Christ is exactly what you need. And you need to come to Him. And embrace His love and draw near to this heart of compassion that overflows on sinners like us. Because He sees you right now. Do you believe that? He sees you right now just like He saw this woman and He knows exactly what your troubles are. He knows exactly what you need. So don't run away from Him. Come to Him. Come to Him and find the sweetness of His compassion and the sufficiency of His power the kind of power that can raise the dead to life. Maybe you're not like the woman. Maybe you're like the son in the story. Maybe you're dead. Maybe you are dead and cold and you're insensitive to your own sin. You're dead and you're insensitive to your need. You're dead and insensitive to the reality of your danger as you live under this righteous wrath of the Holy God whom you have offended and sinned against. And your deadness is really shown by the fact that you hear these words about sin and need and compassion and love and grace and the power of God and you either yawn at it all and you think, well, this has nothing to do with me or you think, yeah, I'm so glad and I'm, I'm so glad so-and-so is hearing this because they need the love of God. What do you need if that's your case? You need to hear the voice of the Son of God and you need to feel His touch on your coffin. And you need to have the Almighty God give life to you. And He is here right now doing every one of those things. He is speaking through His Word. Don't ignore His voice. He is touching people by the power of His Spirit. Don't shrug away from Him. And He is able and willing to give you life. Don't harden your heart against Him. This is the kind of love and compassion that every one of us needs. And the only place you will ever find it is in Jesus Christ. The second implication of all of this for us is this. <clears throat> Not only is this what we need to receive, 
This picture of the love of Jesus Christ is also the pattern for our love for one another. Like I said last week, when we behold the beauty of Jesus Christ, we are progressively transformed to be like Him. And we will never become loving, compassionate people until we see the love and the compassion of Jesus Christ. And that's why when the writers of the New Testament want us to be loving, what do they do? What do they say? They always point us to Jesus Christ. Listen to these words from Ephesians chapter 5. I'll put them up on the screen for you. It says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. When, when the writers of the New Testament want us to become loving people, when they start commanding us to be loving, they say, Here's what I mean. You love the way God, the way Jesus Christ has already loved you. That's the pattern. If you don't love people, it's because you don't know what it means to be loved by God, to be loved by Christ. Listen to John's words from 1 John chapter 4. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him, just like the dead Son. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that God loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation, the covering for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. You see the point? This is what the love of Jesus Christ looks like. Because God has loved you like this, you go, doing the same, go do the same thing. We will be transformed into the image of Christ and become people who love just like He loves only when we see Him and meditate on His love and grab a hold of it and taste it, not just in theory, not just in academic fact, but when we taste it. And when we feel ourselves to be the ones who've lost everything, the one who's dead, Jesus Christ comes and speaks and has compassion and touches and acts. Then we can love like that. Now, can you really see this? Can you see this love of Jesus Christ? Can you really see this love directed to you personally? Can you really see this stuff and still at the same time Love your selfishness and love your indifference and your coldness and your pride. The love of Jesus Christ is beautiful and glorious and it's what we need and it's the pattern of our love. And we're coming now to this table that is a remembrance of this love. And there are two things going on as we enjoy the Lord's table together. There is the, the Godward aspect. We are remembering, reminding ourselves of the love of God and communing with God. That's why it's called communion. Communing with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Remembering the broken body and shed blood of Christ. Jesus Christ came 
We were enemies with God. We deserved this. But God did it to him instead. That's what this means. But there's more to it than that. It's not just the Godward aspect. It's the, it's the one another aspect. It's called communion, not just because we're having communion with God, but because we are supposed to be eating together like a family, having communion with one another. When, when the Apostle Paul speaks of these things in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, that's where he goes. And he says, some of you are sick, some of you are dead. People he's writing to. Because you come together as a church, as a group, as a body, and you don't really see the body. You don't really see one another. You don't see the unity. You don't see the communion that you have with one another in Christ. And you hold grudges against one another. And you have divisions among yourselves. And you, you have uh, cliques. And some of you think you're better than others. And you don't wait on one another. You don't serve each other. You don't love each other like Christ loved you. And so what does he say? He says, examine yourselves. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. My question for all of us this morning is, when we come to this table, are we coming as people with cold, hard hearts, either towards God and rebellion against Him, or towards one another. We're not, we can't just do this because it's what we do. Do you understand? We can't just go through the motion. Who, who are you cold and indifferent towards? Who have you hardened your heart against? Is it your husband or your wife? Your brother, your sister? Your mom, your dad, your roommate? A pastor, there's only one of us here, so uh, an elder, a deacon, someone that you've said, I don't like them. I don't like the way they do things. What are you going to do about that? God commands you to love like Christ loved us. And this is a wonderful opportunity for us to, to think about this very specifically and very personally and very practically. So this table is for those who have acknowledged that they are sinners, that they need the blood of Jesus Christ just like, like the worst sinner in the world and who have put their faith in Christ. It's for those who do not stiff-arm God but who draw near to Him. And it's for those who, who take seriously God's commands to love one another. What I'd like to do is I'd like for us to pray silently. And I'd like for you to examine your heart. And if you need to repent, if you need to go to someone and speak to them, even right now, then do it. And you're going to think, well, that would be embarrassing to do. Because then people would know that I'm a sinner. I have to, if I have to get up and walk from one side of the room to the other, then people would know that I've sinned. That I've had a cold, hard heart towards someone. And I can't stand being seen as a sinner. So I'd rather sit here and pretend. Don't do that. We're all sinners. 
if someone sees you stand up and walk across the room and speak to someone, they're not going to they're not going to look at you and say how terrible. They're going to look at you and say how wonderful. God is working among us. Let's pray together. Pray, pray silently and I'll close in just a few minutes. Then we'll partake together. Lord's table.